What I want to talk about is a lead-in in the Jeremiah passage. Jeremiah 7, and I'm going to pick it up at 24. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and forward. Jeremiah, and I'm assuming God, since he's a prophet and he speaks for God, attributes their problem to their heart. And what I will suggest right now is America has a heart problem. And in order to figure out how to fix it, I will suggest that what we need to do is understand how we got there and what the problem is. Now, the Bible doesn't speak very much about God, actually. The Bible speaks mostly about us. It gives us enough information about God so that we know He loves us, we know He created everything, we know He's sovereign, and that's really mostly what He thinks we need to know about Him. Most of the rest of the book is about us. And the question that I would suggest you ask is, why? Wouldn't it make more sense if you were writing a Bible to devote most of the time to God and give you a lot of information about Him and some fairly simple instructions about what you're supposed to do? That would make sense to me. So my question is, why is it set up that way? And I will give you as an answer, because we can't figure it out ourselves. So the Bible talks mostly about us because it gives us information that we can't figure out for ourselves. I'll give you as proof of that the flood. Remember, God created us, put us in the garden, we messed up and got sent out, and there's about 2,000 years between the creation and the flood. And in those 2,000 years, which was before the Bible was written, we went completely off the rails. We descended into violence, into murder, and we were unable to self-correct. And so we finally got to the point where God says, ah, that didn't work in very well. He took one family and wiped everything else out. So I'm suggesting to you that if we had been able to figure out how to live and figure out about ourselves by ourselves, that wouldn't have been necessary. So what God does is he gives us the book, an instruction book. And as I say, most of it is about us, not about him. So there's sort of two ways we figure out what to do. And, and I'm going to sort of break them into internal and external. Internal is we use emotion and reason. External, teaching and revelation. Now, start with the internal. Everybody starts with emotion. Those of you who are parents... Recognize that your little kids are bundles of raw emotion and very little reason. And humanity is the same way. Every thought that you have comes bundled with an emotion. There's no such thing as complete rationality. You have an opinion about everything. I mean, that's the way you're designed. I'm not suggesting this is a flaw or a fault. That's the way God made you. So everything that you think about interact with, whatever, you have an emotion about. Now, most of the time, the emotions are not very strong. I like strawberry pie. I really don't like peach pie. I have an emotion about that, but it's, you know, if somebody gives me peach pie, I'll eat it, and I won't get upset or anything like that. It's, it's, it's low-level emotion. But as emotions go up the scale, they become more intense. I was driving the other day, and one of the things that I work on really hard is my attitude when I am driving around unskillful drivers. 
I got flipped off. But in that event, I was angry and so forth, and it took the rest of the day for my body to get that emotional response out of myself. In other words, the event lasted that fast, and it was over. And, you know, nobody got shot, nobody got run into, there was no harm, no foul. But he was angry, and I was angry, and I was sort of in turmoil for the rest of the day. That's what emotion does. Strong emotions are really, really powerful. And so, since we start with emotion, and we only develop reason later, reason becomes what I call the handmaiden of emotions. Emotions inform reason, not the other way around. And I've said this before, we get really, really good about reasoning in service of our emotion. I want this, I don't want that, and I can come up with really good logical reasons why what I want is proper. We all do that. There's nothing wrong with that unless it never changes. So how does it change? And the answer to that is externally, not internally. Remember I said internal and external. Start with emotion, then go to reason, and that's all internal. That's inside me. And unless something outside of me changes that, I will never mature and grow up. Back to my example of the flood. So there's two ways that that can be changed. One of them is by teaching and instruction, which is one of the reasons we're here. We teach each other and, and so forth. But the other is by revelation. And revelation comes from God. Teaching and instruction typically comes from other men. But the point is, what happens is something external to us grabs a hold of us and says, no, that's not right. You can't do it that way. You've got to do it this way. And, oh, by the way, sometimes force is required. As in Jeremiah today, God says, your hearts are not there. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to whistle up a whole bunch of Babylonians and you're going to go spend some time in Babylon. That's force. That's your two-year-old who is throwing a tantrum and you reach down and you grab that little sucker by the stacking swivel and you say, stop, no, you won't do that. And if necessary, you swat him on his bumper. So sometimes in order to get your attention and overcome your internal emotion and reason, force is required. But the point I'm making is, this instruction is external to you, and you need that instruction because you can't figure it out for yourself. Now, one of the things we see from today's gospel reading and last time's gospel reading is emotions are very easily manipulated. Give us Barabbas. We have no king but Caesar. That's a mob, and that mob is acting out of its emotions. They have whipped them up, and they've got them all excited, and they're all emotional, and they're not thinking very well, and off they go. And by the way, emotions are quick, reason is slow. And one of the things that the rabbis say about anger is you are thinking fast when you should be thinking slow, which is what happened to me with my little road rage incident the other day. I was thinking fast when I should have been thinking slow, and I got flipped off. So there are people who are really, really good at manipulating emotions. They're called actors. Now, an actor is somebody who's really, really skilled in projecting sincerity. You've all been to a play where at the end of the play you were either in tears or you were rolling in laughter and your emotions had gone up and down. A really skillful actor is good at that. That's why they get so much money. 
you know, you've all been to bad plays where the actors weren't very skillful and your emotions didn't get engaged. I mean, that's why you go to a movie or a play is so that your emotions get engaged and you have a good emotional experience. Good cry, a good laugh, whatever emotional experience you're looking for from a movie. But actors get paid a lot of money because they're good at making you believe that the emotions that they are portraying are genuine. And to quote Rush Limbaugh, politics is acting for the ugly. Politicians do the same thing, but they're not as attractive. So what happens is you've got whole industries that are designed to manipulate your emotions and get you to do stuff. And that's what our problem is now. The United States right now is wallowing in emotion. And you have got lots and lots of people, I mean, we've got pejorative names for them, snowflakes, whatever pejorative name you want. But these are basically folks that are caught up in emotion and are being motivated by emotion and do not have proper instruction. So they don't have the instruction to recognize that their emotion is not the appropriate tool to use in some situation. We have a march on Washington pretty much every week. And these are teenagers who are marching for gun control. Teenagers are sort of the poster children for the uninstructed and emotional, are they not? And again, that's the way humans are started out. One hopes that they will get grabbed by an adult and they will be given good instruction and they will learn to get their emotions under control instead of having their emotions control them. But as teenagers, most of them aren't there yet. That can be a problem if you let them get out of hand. You've got an industry that's feeding that and pushing that and feeding the emotion. Now, I started by saying that revelation is one of the ways that we get external knowledge. And I've said that the reason God gives us so much revelation in Scripture, it is not something we can figure out for ourselves. The job of the church is to take that revelation that is written in Scripture and pass it on to society. I mean, you have specialists that theoretically are supposed to read this stuff, supposed to understand it, supposed to be able to think about it in terms that one hopes that God would think about it, and then pass on instruction. That's the job of the church. Um, guess what? It's not working in America. Not working in Europe. You've got all these magnificent cathedrals in Europe and they're museums. They're not places where people go to worship. So what happened to the church? Why isn't the church doing what it's supposed to do, which is pass on instruction and revelation to help people rise above their emotions? And don't get me wrong, emotions are wonderful. God gave them to us. But they shouldn't be the thing that drives your every decision. Well, the church had a problem. Starting in, oh, maybe the 18th century, 17th century, sometime around, science started to come up. And what science did is science provided an alternative story of creation. So you have scientists, they're chugging along and they're studying the creation and so forth. And what they did is they provided a competing creation story. And they did it in a language that most churchmen don't understand, which is mathematics. Now, churchmen aren't dumb and scientists aren't necessarily smart, but they're speaking a different language. And so if you go to a cocktail party and some guy is stroking his beard and say, well, you know, I mean, the orbit of this is uh, mechanically this, 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 
And the church guy says, but wait a minute, it says here that God created in six days. Well, that's foolish. And so what happened is the church got run out of the creation business. And then the next step is, well, if we've been run out of the creation business, what else about this book is not right? And so the church divorced itself from the instruction in Scripture, divorced itself from the law, from Torah. Because remember, I said most of the Bible is about us, and a lot of that is how do you behave? And if we say, well, the creation isn't right, or what else isn't right? Well, we'll hang on to love. What's love? An emotion, isn't it? We'll hang on to that. We'll really push the love stuff because that's an emotion and that's going to be our bailiwick. And we're not going to deal so much in this cosmology. We're not going to deal so much in this instruction and so forth. We're going to sort of focus on the love. And what's happened to our churches? It's like they're being run by 14-year-old girls. Nothing wrong with 14-year-old girls, but they're at a development stage when there's a whole lot of emotion flowing around there. And you've got churches with homosexual priestesses and open and affirming and all this kind of stuff, and they've lost the ability to instruct. So the churches have quit teaching what God wants us to know, what God thinks we ought to know, and what we can't figure out for ourselves. And so what's happened is you now have a country that is cut loose from its moorings and is sloshing around in emotion. And you've got a whole group of people that are really good at manipulating that. Remember I said that's what actors and actresses do. They're really, really good at emotion. And so you've got now all these actors and actresses out there lecturing you on whatever. You know, whether it be gun control or sexual politics or any of those kinds of things, who's the lead in all of these movements? Actors and actresses, followed very close behind by politicians, which I say is just acting for the ugly, but they're all engaged in pushing emotion. And remember what happens with emotion. You think fast when you should be thinking slow. So if you've got your emotions heavily engaged, what happens is you really don't look at things objectively, especially if you haven't been instructed and reason is the handmaiden of your emotions. So now your reason is engaged in reinforcing your emotion. And we're off to the races. So what do you do about this? How do we fix this? And I'm suggesting that if you don't know how you got there, figuring out how to get out of it is even more difficult. So I've given you a very short view of how I think we got here. So how do we get out? Well, the first thing is learn to recognize when your emotions are being manipulated. And if you want to have them manipulated, enjoy it. If you go to a movie or a play or something like that, you're going there to have your emotions manipulated, by all means enjoy yourself. You paid good money for it, that's okay. But understand that it doesn't stop at the theater door. And so learn to recognize when somebody is pushing your buttons. Second thing is when people do push your buttons, like the guy that flipped me off, back up and check your reaction against Torah, against the thing that God gives you because you can't figure it out yourself. You've got that resource, so when your emotions go whoop, you need to check your emotion against the Torah. Now, that's you. That's how you handle things. What do we do for the lost? 
Somebody was praying here very eloquently this morning about reaching out to the lost. How do we do that? Recognizing where they are. Because where they are is they are running on emotion which they think is logic. Let me give you an example. Although atheism might have been logically tenable before Darwin, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. That's Richard Dawkins. So the idea here is lots of these people think that they're the rational ones, think that they're the reasonable ones, think that they're the ones that have right on their side. So how do you break through that? Well, the first thing you don't do is you don't argue with them. That's a waste of time because reason is the handmaiden of the emotion. They don't want your God and they have really, really good reasonable ways to explain why they shouldn't want your God and why, you know, keep your dogma off my karma, whatever, all that nonsense that they spout. So you can't argue them out of it. What can you do? Well, one of the things about living a life in God's presence as opposed to living a life in the world is the way of the world is ultimately death. And they will go through life and at some point they're going to hit something that they can't handle. That's your opportunity. If you can meet them when they are in serious pain, which their life will lead them to, then you have an opportunity to come in with sympathy and compassion and help them and guide them and bring them to a knowledge of the way of life. It isn't for nothing that the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And for most people, they don't start tasting and seeing the Lord is good until they finally get to a point where all of their resources are, and I don't mean money, I mean emotional resources, when they've been flattened. And when somebody has been flattened, the last thing that you want to do is say, ha ha, serves you right, sinner. That's not helpful. What you want to do is give them the possibility that there's a better way, that there is something good out there, that there is somebody who loves you, and you are an agent of the one who loves them. Then you have a chance of making some progress. And in the meantime, go ahead and excoriate the politicians. That's okay. Okay.